0: Somebody say praise the Lord. Man, we could have that song every Sunday at the beginning of the worship service, right? To make room for God, do whatever God wants to do. So, praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, James chapter 3, James chapter 3 verse 13 as we continue our series on rebooting. And uh, to this morning we're going to talk about rebooting relationships. I know nobody here needs to reboot in any of their relationships, but um, it's interesting. I Some of you may have read or heard about the uh, revival that started going on at Asbury Seminary this week. I've read a little bit of that and saw a couple of videos. and. Uh, One of the videos I saw about the Asbury Revival, some of the, that God's doing amongst the students there, uh, one of the things that uh, one of the videos said was, it's like God has given us a reboot here. And I'm like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Reboot is uh, not a bad word for revival, restart. God, create a fresh start in me. Make a fresh start in me. Uh, Shape a Genesis week out of the chaos of my life is what Psalm 5110 in the message says. And so look at you well this morning, James chapter 3, verse 13, and um, let's see what the Lord has for us. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where there are envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now, here's the verse that we really want to focus in on as we think about rebooting relationships this morning. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I recently read about a couple of guys, they work in a lawnmower parts place, lawnmower parts warehouse, and uh, one of the guys there decided that uh, somehow got the idea that his wife did not want a Valentine card For Valentine's Day. Um, Not everybody does Valentine cards, and this guy got that idea. Um, He talked to her on Valentine's Day, and it became apparent to him that she was indeed expecting a Valentine's card for Valentine's Day. The only problem was it was too late for him to shop for one. He works in a, a lawnmower parts place. All he has around are lawnmower parts magazines and things like that, and so he decides to do a handmade card. And so he gets to lawnmower magazines, and he cuts some things out, and he makes his own card, and this is what it said. Go ahead, put it up on the on the." I lawn for you more and more each day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies, give it to me. Thumbs up or thumbs down on that one? I'm getting thumbs up everywhere. Well, it made it to the refrigerator door. (laughs) So it it really, isn't that great? I lawn for you more and more each day. Well, I also read about a couple of guys. They um, had a friend of theirs, senior citizens, um, a friend of theirs, had a daughter that had to go through some very, very serious surgery. They had to go out of town to the hospital uh, for several months during summer. And so uh, two of these guys in their 70s, retired guys, decided that they would uh, cut their grass for them. And so every other week they went and cut their grass for them. Well, the um, um, pastor of the church, or this is actually it was a senior adult pastor of the church, uh, he heard about this. And so uh, you need to be careful what your pastor knows you're doing. <laughs> he hears about it, and so he gives them a call. Once in a while, there'll be a need for somebody to have their grass cut, and he would uh, call these guys. And they ended up recruiting a couple of other guys, and uh, they had a little ministry there, still do. They call it geezer mowing. <laughs> geezer mowing, all right? And so um, they started going around and doing it. They are all retirement age guys and said God has blessed them with good health. And, and so, you know, they've lived long enough to realize that. Serving other people's huge part of life. Blessed other people's a huge part of life, and so they've grown to a group for uh, four guys. They bought uh, t-shirts that says "Geezer Mowing" on it, and they also got them a slogan. Their slogan is, "We are experienced in lawn enforcement." <laughs> We're experienced in lawn enforcement. One particular guy they got in touch with a guy named Greg. Somebody that knew them uh, went to Greg's house. He was having a garage sale at his house. They found out that Greg has. I was really following hard times. He was a, a veteran. Uh, he had COPD, uh, kind of confined to his house, had really, really hard time breathing. And so uh, they told the uh, geezer mowing ministry about that, and so they went and, and mowed Greg's grass for him. After they mowed, they typically sit around and chat for a half hour or so after they mowed somebody's grass. And so uh, with Greg, they sat around, talked a little bit, and they asked him if they could uh, pray for him before they left. And Greg said yes. Over the course of the summer, uh, found out that Greg uh, was a Christian, but he had really fallen away from the Lord. And uh, through their ministry to him that summer, he recommitted his life to Christ and by the end of the next summer, uh, whenever they would cut his grass, they continued to cut his grass, um, he would be praying for them at the end of their lawn service. Uh, they would talk. He would pray for them. He had committed himself to a church which he couldn't attend because of his COPD. He was confined. Uh, he couldn't get out much, hardly at all. And so, but he was committed to their online services, tithing to his church, trying to be a part of the church as much as he can, all because somebody had a reboot in relationships We've got health, we've got strength, we've got something we can do, and they look for people to share the love of Jesus with. Now, here's the thing, guys, if we're going to have a refreshment, a restart, a revival in our relationship with God, and we've talked about how to prepare for that, we've talked about how that starts in our minds. Last week, we talked about it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit Says the Lord that God's spirit is one, especially those hard changes. Some changes are hard, aren't they? Been doing them all your life, and so they're hard. What I want to say this week is if you have a fresh encounter with Christ, which is what this is all about, you have a reboot with Jesus, it will spill over into your relationships. Not it might, not it could be, not it's possible, but it will spill over into your relationships. And so if we're going to do that, we need to focus on how God wants our relationships to be. What we're going to see this morning is how God's wisdom leads to great relationships. Now, anybody here want a great relationship? Say amen. amen. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Wisdom helps eliminate And minimize difficulties in relationships. Now, everybody has difficulty in relationships, right? There's no relationship on the face of the earth, doesn't have a problem, doesn't have a a hard time in it sometime or another. We're all sinful people. Anybody you have a relationship with in your church, in your friendships, in your ball team, cheer squad, club, uh, family, whatever it is, you're going to be in a relationship with sinful people. And they're going to be in a relationship with sinful people. And guess what sinful people do? They sin, they sin, Simple people sin So what, what we want to see today is not I mean, we would, I would love to tell you How to eliminate all future relationship difficulties I can't do that, I don't know how to do that I mean, I, I got the word But we're all sinful So we're all going to have issues here Wisdom helps us to minimize relationship problems It helps us to have fewer relationship problems And I think most of us could say I could go for that, <laughs> right? Can you go for minimizing and fewer relationship difficulties. And so look at James chapter 3 verse 17 in the New Living Translation. This is going to be our focus for today because this is where God's wisdom helps us in relationships. So on this verse about wisdom, what I want you to see as we look through this verse today is how to apply this to our marriage, to our children, to our parents. How do we apply this to our church family friendships your school relationships your work relationships youth group relationship all of those kinds of things look at what it says it says the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure it's also peace loving gentle at times willing to yield to others it's full of mercy and good deeds it shows no favoritism and is always sincere now if we can apply those to our relationships it will help us a lot because here's the thing In in all of your relationship problems, every difficulty in relationships you've ever had, guess what? You were there for it. (laughs) You know, we tend to think about somebody, well, you know, I had this difficulty with that person and then couldn't get along with them and, and then that didn't work out so great. The common denominator in every one of your relationship difficulties is you. The common denominator in every one of my difficulties in relationships is me. And so who the person that we most can work on is ourselves. And we want to look at that today because there are no perfect relationships, there are no perfect families, there are no perfect parents, there are no perfect children, there are no perfect churches, but we want to take God's wisdom and apply it and see if we can have God-centered and wisdom in our relationships. Let me talk about several things today. Uh, There's an outline on the back if you'd like to take notes. I My guess is we're not going to get through all of those today, so um, we'll work through as many as uh, the Lord kind of gives us time for today. So let's talk about it. First of all, all for wisdom in relationships, first of all, God's wisdom is pure. God's wisdom is pure. That word means clean. It means integrity. It means untainted. What it means is, watch this now, because... Uh, nobody's perfect, right? Nobody has a completely pure heart. Nobody's heart is completely right. What it means is good relationships are built on trust and truth, not perfection. Good re- aren't you glad of that? Good relationships are built on trust and truth. Not perfection. None of us can be perfect, but we can all do our best to say, I want to be a trustworthy person. I want you to be able to depend on what I say. If you promise something to your child, do your best to fulfill it. You promise something to your spouse, do your best to fulfill it. You promise something to your employee, do your best to fulfill it. And if you can't, tell them why. Apologize. Make it right. Because you see, because we want to have relationships on trust. If you don't trust somebody, you're going to have a hard time in that relationship. It's going to be difficult. Leonard Keeler invented the lie detector test. And uh, he gave the lie detector test to uh, hundreds and hundreds of people uh, through his lifetime. His um, his conclusion was, everybody lies. <laughs> everybody lies. I've heard people say, "I hate a liar." Well, you probably hate yourself because you get know, honest enough. We've all lied, and we lie to other people. We lie to ourselves probably as much as anybody. You can con yourself in unbelievable ways. So, what integrity says, what pure of heart says, is this. It says, I won't compromise my integrity if I want great relationships. You see, when we're hiding our true motives and we're trying to use people to make us happy, we're trying to use people to get our own way, we're trying to use people because of something we want out of them, Uh, we want a good meal, you want sex. You want them to do the things you want them to do. When, you've had, when you're hiding your real motives, you're trying to do things out of an impure heart. You're not being honest, a lot of times with yourself, not being honest with the other person. Then You're not basing it on truth, and you're not basing it on trust, and the relationship is going to have a hard time moving to where God wants it to be. You see, when we're hiding, we have fear, and fear of exposure makes you distant. It's so what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Whenever they ate of the fruit, tr- uh, 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 the fruit of the tree, what happened? They began to hide. Why? They had, some, they, they had something that they did not want exposed. And the more that we can be honest and expose our true motives, and it, watch this, expose our true struggles, expose what we're really doing, dealing with why we're truly angry or why we're truly depressed or why we're truly upset or why we're truly uh, overwhelmed, uh, the more you can do that, the healthier the relationship can be. At the bottom of it, at the bottom of it, purity means that we really want what Jesus wants in this relationship. Okay? This is where the best relationships are. When you can get a person... And I know not everybody in relationships gonna to wanna to do this, right? Not everybody's your work, not everybody's your school, maybe some not everybody's your family. I hope they are, but maybe not. But real purity and real godly wisdom happens when when the people in the relationship say I really want what Jesus wants in this relationship. I'm willing to put myself aside. You see, as long as you got two selfish people who are looking out for self, living by ego, then you're going to really struggle in that relationship. By the way, you know what ego stands for? Edging God out. (laughs) That's what ego does, right? It edges God out. Purity says, I really want what God wants in this relationship. See, if you can get two people in a marriage, parenting, friendship, whatever, Sunday school class, church. Now, I'm talking about for real. I'm not talking about pretend. I'm not talking about play-like. I'm talking about for real to say whatever God wants is what we want in this relationship. That's the bedrock for me. And that's going to solve a lot of your issues. That's going to solve a lot of your questions. You don't have to to argue about a lot of things. Are we going to go to church this Sunday? Are we going to discipline our children the way God wants us to discipline our children? Are we going to spend our money the way God wants us to spend our money? How are we going to spend our time? A lot of that, not everything, but a lot of that is already decided if you say we want what Jesus wants in this relationship. Laura and I have done a lot of premarital counseling and that's typically one of the things that we say whenever we do premarital counseling is um, do you guys really want what Jesus wants and and they're going to I mean it's a bad question because we set them up to lie (laughs) right they're not going to hardly say nah not really we're not going to do that. But a lot of times, oh, yeah, 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 we, we really, well, were y'all going to church yet? Well, you know, I really haven't gone to church yet. What you reading in your Bible and your quiet eh, You know, I, got, I really got around to that. And, and saying so, you just ask two other questions, you realize they're saying what I want them to say. What they think I want them. It's not what I want. What they think I want them to say. Look, what does Jesus really want? Are you committed to that? If you are, boy, the rest of it. Is really going to be a lot easier. It's going to flow a lot better because what? God's power flows to God's purposes. If you want a godly relationship, a loving relationship, you want the power of God, it's got to flow to his purpose for that relationship. One other thing. One of the things that we, uh, Laura and I learned early on was that if we got to a place in a uh, discussion, we never have arguments. Like none of you ever have arguments. We have discussions, right? That we don't disagree. That we don't agree on. Anytime we got to a place to where what we were talking about gets counterproductive, do you know that happens sometimes? A place where you get mad and you realize. This isn't going anywhere. <laughs> We're not going to solve this in this state of mind. Uh, that happens to everybody. It happens to every relationship. You get you get defensive. You get upset with each other. What we learned early on, and this has been so valuable to us, is that at any point, either one of us can call time out, and you have the other person has to value it. All right. And so if someone says, "Look," I just think we should call timeout. We're not getting anywhere. We're just getting angrier and angrier. We're irritating each other more and more. We're not going to solve this today. Let's take some time. Now, here's the key part of this. Let's take some time and pray about this and come back together in 24 to 4. Now, you can't call timeout every time there's a discussion. You can't leave timeouts for six months, okay? It's 24 to 48-hour rule on the timeouts. And it's been amazing how many times that we've done that, that if we're sincere, if we have a pure heart in this thing, how many times will we come back together? I mean, I guess within five minutes a lot of times it's resolved. Because I've seen where God's convicted me, where I've been wrong in that situation, where I've not loved her as as Christ loved the church, where I was selfish and defensive, and uh, she saw much more about where she was. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) She saw one little bitty tiny thing, you know. I got the log, you know, sw- speck and fry. So she sees some things, and typically, what the result, the, the way that thing's resolved, is somewhere in between what either one of us thought. We both had a piece to the puzzle, but they needed to go together. And it wasn't until we called time out, and guys, I cannot emphasize enough, genuinely pray and say, God, where am I wrong? In Have I done something, is there something in my heart that is not pure about this situation? And then see what God wants. That's the first thing, is wisdom is pure. Now, if you're dealing with somebody that's not a Christian, and they're not going to to do the come out and they're not going to want to you know, pray about it, that kind of thing. You can still get off by yourself and pray and say, God, give me a pure heart about this person. Show me how I'm to respond to them even though they're not going to probably respond in a godly way. Second thing, wisdom is peace-loving. Wisdom is peace loving. I heard about a, uh, two uh, college young adults they were uh, dating, and uh, so the guy uh, took her out for a supper, nice supper, nice restaurant. Her name was Bonnie. Took her out for a nice restaurant, had flowers delivered at the table. Uh, in their college newspaper, they had a place where people could put, uh, you know, I love you, so-and-so, you know, little personal messages at Valentine's Day. And so after, the, uh, after they finished their dinner, she had the paper out and she was looking at it. And uh, in one of the personal messages on one page near the bottom, it said, Bonnie, what are you looking for? Aren't dinner and flowers enough? Love, <laughs> Love, Scott. <laughs> wisdom is peacemaking it's not looking to start a fight it's not looking to be arrogant so and and at the bottom it's going to sound similar at the bottom of peacemaking is really wanting what Jesus wants for the relationship that sounds like purity but here's the difference purity says I want what Jesus wants in this relationship peacemaking says I will do what Jesus says do I will do what Jesus says do in this relationship. And that's going to mean what? That's going to mean some love. That's going to mean some forgiveness and some serving, some honoring, some giving, some praying. James 3.17 again. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then what? Then peaceable. Wise people don't walk around looking for an argument. Wise people don't carry a chip. On their shoulder. Wise people do not carry unforgiveness or some kind of hurt from the past into this relationship and they're just kind of waiting for something to fight about. Look at Proverbs 20 verse 3, New Living Translation. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Needs to be right above everybody's Facebook and Instagram page, right? (laughs) Do you see what it says? Only fools insist on on quarreling. So let me give you three tools you should never use in a relationship if you want to have peace. Three tools never to use in a relationship. Number one is comparing. Don't compare your people, your relationship, your stuff to anybody else's. Why can't you be more like my mom? Why can't you be more like your dad? Why can't you be more like your sister, your brother, their kids? Don't, if you compare, you're going to lose and you're going to hurt the relationship and it's not going to be peace. Uh, It's not going to be a good thing. See, if you say to your spouse, boy, these chicken and dumplings sure don't taste like my mama's. So what you want is chicken and dumplings that taste like your mama. What you're going to get is zero chicken and dumplings ever again. (laughs) Okay? And probably a night on the couch, right? Yeah, don't compare. You are you, your family's there, you know, you can't compare to other people. Learn to be a peacemaker in your family, look for God's purpose for your family, and don't get outside of that. Secondly is condemning. (laughs) Satan is the accuser, Right? It's what the word devil means. It means slanderer or accuser. All of us have things in our consciences that the devil's trying to accuse us of. You're not not a good enough mom. You're not a good enough dad. You're not a good enough child. You don't make good enough grades. You're not good enough at sports. You're not good enough at making money. You should make more money than you're making. There's all this kind of condemning stuff that Satan throws at you. Don't agree with him. Don't do what he does to your family. Uh... I used to have a, a, some friends of mine, they've passed away now, they, they, they struggled a lot, and uh, he used to call, he would call me up and say, Miss Holy Spirit, at it again. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the Holy Spirit in each other's life, okay? What? Easy, easy on the criticizing, and last of all, the contradicting. Now, I know some things may need to be corrected, but if your spouse is telling a story and they said, you know, last Tuesday afternoon, and you say, actually, it was Tuesday night. Yeah, well, last Tuesday night, you know, it was Tuesday. But last Tuesday night, um, I, was, I was doing this. Well, we, really do we actually weren't at the restaurant. We was actually at home. Uh, don't contradict if you don't need to, especially if you're married to an introvert. Because if you're married to an introvert, that's me, and I say, you know, last Tuesday afternoon, and Laura's really good at this. She never does this. But if she were to say, actually, it was Tuesday night, and I say, we were at the restaurant. She said, well, it wasn't David's. It was, you know, it was the Mexican restaurant. At that point, I'm done. You tell the story. <laughs> now, that's not good, and that's not godly, but that's where introvert's going to go to. You know, they don't typically open up and tell stories easily anyway, and if you embarrass them or you do something in front of them, then, then you're going to get to tell your own story. <laughs> don't contradict unless it's, unless it's important. I have noticed in our world, people interrupt all the time. Learn to not contradict, but to pay attention. That's what being a peacemaker is. Proverbs 14, 29, a wise man controls his temper. He knows that anger causes mistakes. How many of you say amen to that? There's only one letter difference between anger and and danger. And when you get angry, you tend to break things. You might break a dish. You might break a tool. The thing you don't want to break is your family's heart. The thing you don't want to break is your child's spirit. The thing you don't want to break is the safety that your spouse feels in opening up to you. So don't break things in your anger. The third thing, this will be the last one for today, is uh, wisdom is gentle. So it starts out with pure and then Peace loving and then gentle, which means considerate. It means kind. I was this still a lady? Being and she, was, she's not a Christian, but she's a wildlife photographer. Her husband was also a wildlife photographer, and they were talking to her about you know what it takes to be a good wildlife photographer. And she said, "Man, my husband is so patient. He is so when taking pictures. He said he he is so patient. He's so kind. He's so gentle with everybody on the crew, everybody that's working with him." But not so with me at home. And that is why he's my (laughs) ex-husband. Sometimes you're gentle with everybody but the people closest to you. Jesus was called gentle in heart. It's one of the only descriptions the Bible has about Jesus' heart. And it says he was gentle and lowly in heart. Look at James 3.17 again. Uh, But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, then what? Gentle. Gentle. Philippians 4, 5, New Living Translation says it this way. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Notice there's two really hard words there. One is everyone. (laughs) Amen. Let everyone see that you're considerate. And the other word that's tough is all. Everyone and all. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all that you do. Now, guys, look, this is tough, but here's what I want to ask you. When you're tempted not to be considerate and you're tempted not to be gentle and you're tempted to kind of let fly on somebody, tell them you're, you know, give them a piece of your mind, whatever it is, straighten them out. What's your goal in that relationship? That's what you need to ask yourself. What's the goal in the relationship? Do you want to be right or happy? (laughs) Do you want to prove your point Or live in peace? Do you want to put somebody in their place or share a loving place with them? And I'm not saying don't tell the truth. I'm not saying give in to people all the time. I am saying ask yourself the goal. Is the goal peace? Is the goal wisdom? Is the goal to be right with God and right with each other? And that is such an important part. A gentle word turns away wrath or turns away Anger. So being considerate is the antidote to two really big, um, two really big um, relationship killers. Number one, here's the thing. We react to what people say and ignore what they're feeling. Being gentle is we tend to react to what people say instead of what they're feeling. Now, when somebody says something, especially they say it out of anger or they're being overwhelmed or they're being frustrated, listen for the feeling that's behind their words. Don't just go with the words. What's behind the words? Because here's the truth: unkind people need massive doses of kindness. Unkind people need massive doses of kindness. So we tend to react to what people say instead of what their feelings. The other thing is we tend to invalidate any feelings we don't feel ourselves. So when uh, someone close to you says something like what? Well, man, I'm just, I'm just kind of depressed. Well, you shouldn't feel that way. I'm angry. Well, get over it. You shouldn't be angry. Here's the thing. Telling somebody they shouldn't feel something is really unhelpful at all. What what's happening is you're invalidating, you're minimizing their feelings that they feel. Okay, they still feel them. You know, it's kind of like uh, being in the house and someone, one spouse or one family member says, well, I'm hot. Well, it's not hot in here. I'm cold. Well, how can you be cold? It's it's burning up in here. Man, I heard somebody say the guy that invented the uh, dual control on the electric blanket, she won a Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if you could do that for the whole heat the whole house kind of that way, wherever you go, it's a certain temperature. Other person goes, it's a different temperature. Here's the thing. If somebody feels something, they feel it. And men, you're not always going to be able to fix that. You're not always going to be able to say, well, you shouldn't feel that way, and here's what you're supposed to do. If I'm wise in relationships, I won't minimize your feelings. Proverbs fifteen four says, gentle words cost life and health, griping brings discouragement. <laughs> One of the best things you can do is just let them talk it out. Why do you feel that way? What, what's, what's happened to cause you feel that way? And then listen. And then give them a hug. And then say, I'm so sorry you feel that way. And then you can ask them a really, really good question. You can say, how can I help? Not quit feeling that way. Not you shouldn't feel that way. How can I help since you do feel this way? Don't ever play. My day was worse than yours. Man, I've had a hard day. You you ain't had nearly the hard days I've had. (laughs) Don't ever ever try to get to that place. And so we're talking today, a pure heart, peace-loving motives, peace-loving actions, gentle actions. These are God's wisdom. You don't have to do this. But you're going to have relationships that reflect that. (laughs) You're going to have relationships that show up that way. Let me tell you a story. We'll be done. I read this story this week, a guy named Al-Fadi. Al-Fadi grew up in Saudi Arabia as a Muslim. He was part of a um, a devoted Muslim family. He was a devoted uh, follower of Islam, tried to apply the Islamic teachings to every area of his life. And he writes, I believe that Islam was the only true, true religion, and those who didn't accept Allah as their God, Muhammad as his messenger, were doomed for hell, and he had a special, especially had contempt for Christianity. He said, I believe Muslims are superior to all others. Non Muslims were infidels. And that Jesus was a prophet, but he really didn't die on the cross. He really didn't rise from the dead. He was just a prophet sent by Allah. And so he grew up harboring this intense hatred for Christians. By age 12, he had memorized half of the Quran with the goal of memorizing all of it before he turned. Fifteen, He was uh, all in on joining the Holy War with Osama bin Laden and all of that. His, only his mom was able to say, please don't go do that. Please don't go get involved in that. So the more he grew up, the more he began to study the Quran. the more he began to see seeds of hatred within that religion, the more he began to wonder why would God create people and then tell us to hate them to work evil against them, and it, it how could God hate his own creation? So he finished college in Saudi Arabia, wanted to be an engineer, knew the best place to get a, he felt like the best place to get an engineering degree, a graduate degree, and to get a good job would be to go to the United States and go to college, which scared him to death because he felt like everybody in the United States was a Christian. You and know, I know that's not true, but that's his perception, and he didn't want to have anything to do uh, with Christians, and so uh, in 1989, he came to the United States filled with fear, uh, filled with discomfort, tried to get his education. So he lived in a dormitory for about a month, uh, really struggling with his English, kind of struggling, fitting in, struggling with all this kind of stuff. And he heard about a group um, called um, a Friendship Program. And so he signed up for the Friendship Program where they get, you get a young couple to mentor you. These are international students. Uh, you get a young couple that will mentor you, help you. You can eat with them. They help you with your language, you help them find a job and all that. What he didn't know was it was a Christian ministry. And so he signs up, and the young couple uh, worked with him and said, for the next seven months, this young couple showed me love that far exceeded my expectations. He said, I had never experienced this kind of love from anybody in my life. In November, the family invited him over for Thanksgiving dinner. And at Thanksgiving dinner, they asked, would you mind if we prayed? And that's when he figured out they were Christians. They didn't push anything on him. They just loved him, just kind of was kind with him. And uh, he said that kind of freaked, freaked him out a little bit. His heart sank. But he said, I never realized that Christians are actually filled with love and not hate as my Muslim upbringing had led me. To believe, And so they began to show him, or they were showing him what the gospel looked like, what good relationships in a family looked like, what pure, peace-loving, gentle relationships actually looked like. And he said, I saw in them a peace and a joy I'd never seen before. So after he earned his master's degree, he joined a local engineering firm and became friends with this guy who he said was just a neat, neat guy. He said he's one of these guys, he's just kind of like a light shone from him. And uh, this guy invited him home for Christmas, and uh, he noticed, man, this family has the same characteristics as this family does. And he asked the guy, he said, what is it about you that makes you different? And he said, I'm a born-again Christian, and I'm a follower of Jesus. And at that point, he said, I couldn't hold my curiosity back. He began to research Christianity, began to research the Bible, and then several months later, he did something he thought he would never, ever do. He attended a Christian church. And he walked in and he got what he did not expect. He got love, he sensed peace, he sensed kindness uh, people. And so in November of 2001, he accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And he said it was really hard for a few months, really difficult trying to, trying to wrap his head around this, this whole thing. But here's what I want you to read. Here what I want you to get. This is what he wrote the last paragraph. I came to know my beloved Jesus. Notice he's calling him beloved Jesus now. I came to know my beloved Jesus through simple acts of love. And I pray that God will use my own simple acts of love to bring glory to himself, by drawing others to a saving faith in him. If our love's not pure, then people are going to know we're trying to use them for something. Our love's not peacemaking. We're just arguing all the time. We're, we're hard to get along with. Not going to be a very good representation of the gospel. And if we're not gentle with people that disagree with us, we're not going to be good representations of the gospel. So let's apply God's wisdom to our relationships. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed. With his bow and eyes closed, uh, no one looking around this morning, if you will just pray this morning, ask yourself, is there a place in this that you need to think about? Is there an area of your life, a relationship maybe in your life, that you really need to experience God's wisdom in? Maybe it's purity. Maybe you really are. And this is hard to admit, but you're just selfish in your relationships. You want what you want when you want it. And you're willing to argue to get it. And you're willing to push pretty hard. You see, that's the opposite of pure. It's the opposite of peace-loving. It's the opposite of gentle. But it's what we naturally do. I want what makes me happy. I'll argue to get it. And I'll run over you if I have to. I'll push back. I'll demand my way. And that is not how godly relationships work. And so, Father, we thank you that you've given us your wisdom. That we don't learn anywhere else but from you about how to have a reboot in our relationships, how to have a refreshment, a restart in our relationships. And I pray, God, for those who have never given their heart and life to Jesus. I pray they would do that this morning, Lord, I know that it starts there. And I pray, Father, for us, those of us who are believers, our families and our church and our relationships with unbelievers. God, help us to be wise in our relationships hands bowed and eyes closed no one looking around Lisa begins to play